Thank you, Megan, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning, both here in the sanctuary, also online. Glad that uh, we can be worshiping together. My name is Richard. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and we're looking at this story called the Transfiguration. So please join me in prayer. This, this is so timely for our world right now. Uh, may we have ears to hear and hearts to respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can gather uh, to listen for your voice, and thank you that in the midst of all the immense noise that assaults our ears and souls and hearts every day, there still remains this quiet voice from you. Don't be afraid. I pray that we uh, hear your voice so that we could be people of hope right in the midst of it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I moved back to uh, Washington State after attending Seattle Pacific. I graduated in 1979 from SPU. Went, I was in Los Angeles, went to seminary, came back 1984, lived in the, the San Juan Islands for a while, and uh, very early in my time, made a trip with friends to what is my favorite hike now in all of the Cascades, a little fire lookout tower called Park Butte. If you go up into the North Cascades and find it someday, uh, once you get there, you can actually spend the night if you're lucky enough to arrive and there's nobody already there. Uh, at least at the time, there were no reservations. You just kind of went and took your chances. But you get up there and then uh, you can see everything. To the, to the west, you see the San Juans, to the south, the Olympics, to the north, uh, Vancouver, Vancouver Island, and then like to the east, right out your window, right out the window is... Giant Mount Baker. It's right. It's right there within just a few miles. Really, it's, it's huge. You know, we went. We loved it. Fast forward maybe a year or so, year and a half. I don't know. And I say to my wife, "You got to see this. This is just amazing. You got to go with me." So it was October, not the best time of year weather-wise, but we thought, "Well, we'll take our chances." You know, you pick a date and you go. And uh, so we. It's raining in the parking lot. We start ascending. It. Rain turns to snow. We get up there to the butte late afternoon because I want to show her sunset, but there's no sunset. It's blizzard. It's a blizzard. Thankfully, there's nobody there. Who else would do this on this day? So, you know, we had our sleeping bags and we got, we went in and sleeping bags are wet. We're shivering. We build a, we build a fire, a little lookout tower. It's so windy overnight that this thing, which is leashed to the mountain with cables, is, you know, swaying in the wind almost to the point of we're getting seasick. It was ridiculous. We wake up the next morning, uh, whiteout, like you can't see an inch. And my wife, who was pregnant, by the way, is, that's me, that's on me, not her, all my fault. Uh, like to take her on that trip was like, whatever. What were we thinking? Who knows? But, uh, you know, she looks out the window and she goes, nice view. Like I'd, I'd talk this up so immensely. And, and then I was like this, yeah, it really is. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's just that right now you can't see it. And so then, you know, we sat in there. I'll never forget. We sat in there with the fires going and we're eating granola bars and I'm describing everything that's all around her. And she's like this, whatever, let's go home. Right. You can see here the challenge. And we've all, we've all had this, right. Where you've had an amazing experience and you want to share with others but it's almost like unless they can also see it, nothing transformative is going to happen. 
This is really at the heart of this story that we look at today, the transfiguration. And the reason it's so important is our calling as Christ followers is to declare to a world that is blind the beauty of God's reign. That's our calling. And, you know, we have a hard time ourselves seeing it, let alone describing it, let alone living it. And yet that's our calling. So this story is of immense help for us. So let me give you the context. Transfiguration, uh, about three years into Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry. And so the disciples had followed Jesus for months. They'd seen miracles. They'd seen his power. They'd heard his teaching. They knew, like, objectively the power and reality of who Jesus was. And yet, when Jesus began to talk to them about the necessity of his death, they began to wonder, is this really the Messiah? And that's why uh, last week I told you, Peter uh, uh, took Jesus aside when he said he had to, had to die, and he rebuked him. He said, no, that's not the way this works, right? So Jesus is corrected by Peter, so to speak, because Peter and the disciples can't embrace the reality of suffering. And here's the thing. Uh, if you can't embrace the reality of stuck, uh, suffering, that's an indication that the disciples are stuck in a certain way of thinking about Messiah and kingdom. And their thought is this. Messiah and kingdom are associated, and this is very important, exclusively with triumph, defeating enemies, winning. It's always upward. It's always glory. It's always healing. It's always reconciliation. That's the kingdom of God. And so there's kind of this binary thinking going on in the disciples' mind that like if we're in that kingdom, then we'll never experience loss or suffering or, uh, you know, defeat. It's all triumph. It's all ascent. It's never foggy. And, and so that's where we find ourselves is that thinking that by the disciples, look, if this is Messiah, we're going to win all the time. Are you with me so far? But then, as we know, the reality is otherwise. In this world, this world, there does exist the kingdom of God. So picture with me, like a huge circle, and then kind of scattered within that circle, these little points of light. There is a world of perfect justice, perfect healing, perfect unity, unbridled bliss and joy, intimate fellowship, deep worship, infinite beauty. And if this describes the reign of God, yes, it's here. Yes, it's now. But the problem is that Jesus says that this beautiful kingdom is here now like a lost coin is here. It's here, but where is it? Because hello, I turn the news on and that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing this morning, uh, mass shooting in Sacramento. I'm seeing Ukraine. I'm seeing Putin. I'm seeing poverty. I'm seeing political posturing. I, and then that's just, that's just uh, societal and systemic, never mind the personal. Cancer, infidelity, divorce. Are you kidding me? Where's this, where's this coin? It's like Donna. Show me. I don't see anything here. It's fog. You ever felt that way? Regarding the kingdom of God, I have. I do. <laughs> so the most visible realities in this moment are the kingdoms of this world, what I call the domination model. They're here, and they're here with such force that we not only begin to believe that they're the most real, 
we begin to adopt the values of the domination model for our own spiritual aspirations. And that's why when you look at church history, you see in Jesus' name, you know, inquisitions and land theft and, and in the name of missions, slavery. Uh, so we're called to be in this world of domination models, but not of it. We're called in this world of domination to embody and declare something else. That's what Jesus said, right? You're the light of the world. Let your light shine. In other words, Matthew, uh, uh, Micah 6, 8, justice, mercy, love. That's your calling. Right in the midst of the, all the ugliness and garbage that assaults our senses daily, we're called to that. But I need to be then convinced of the reality that indeed God's good reign is here and that someday it's coming in fullness because if I don't buy that, uh, I will never talk about how beautiful it is outside of the fog. I'll just say, why are we even here? So I need to be convinced of God's good reign even as I live in the midst of like a cesspool of sin and darkness. And what will help me do that is this story, Transfiguration. So the question of what happened and why are seen here. We're going to look at the event and then two observations about the event. So we heard it read, the event. What's the event? They go up on this mountain. Nobody knows exactly which mountain it is. Most people think it's Mount Hermon, but nobody knows. But they go up on a mountain, and then the, they, like the curtain is pulled back. Jesus is transfigured. The word metamorphosis is changed. What happens here is, A, Jesus is seen in his full glory. He sheds the mantle of his humanity, and the disciples are given a glimpse of this unveiled glory, which is displayed in this, you know, ultra white, which is this picture of, uh, you know, perfection and glory. And then, you know, we notice too, Moses and Elijah are there also, uh, two who represent in the old covenant, both the revelation of God's law and uh, the prophets, right? And the law is really good at uh, show, giving us a vision for living justly and righteously. And the prophets are really good at exposing the dissonance between our ideals and our practices, right? So Elijah represents that exposure, and, and Moses represents that revelation of the law. And, and so they're there. And I will just note in passing, for those reasons, the law and prophets still matter. The law still matters because it's a revelation of God's character and what it means we're, we as image bearers are called to display God's character. So the law matters. Prophets matter because without a prophetic voice in my life, I, I often won't see the dissonance between how I'm living and the, and the way that I'm called to live, right? And then I'll know too, the fact that Elijah and Moses are there say to me, we don't disappear after we die. It's not like Dead Poet Society years ago, you know, food for worms kind of thing. No, no, here they are. Uh, what happens in death, apparently, is we shed this present reality, we undergo a transformation, so that we then ad abide fully in this deeper reality that is now hidden, like a lost coin or a mustard seed. We, like we're fully in that, that eternal reality. And then another observation, these two, Moses and Elijah, are revealed as having an honored place in God's glorious eternal reign, and that's interesting to me because uh, these two did not have an easy time of it here on the, on the planet, right? So when you look at these two who are hanging out with Jesus, you know, up on top of the mountain, 
and they're discussing whatever they do at their board meetings, right? We are not told the content, but they're up there having a talk. And, and I go, wow, you know, Moses and Elijah, both of them confronted uh, kind of evil powers, if I could say it that way, uh, both outside the people of God and within the people of God, both of them, right? I, we won't have time to look at both of them. I'll just look at Moses. But the, trust me, it's both, right? So, you know, Moses, he, he confronts the powers of the world. Pharaoh, sorry, second row, that's what happens to you, right? He confronts Pharaoh, you know, and, and you know, ultimately uh, the power of God is revealed. He delivers uh, the Hebrews out of slavery. That's a great thing, right? And then, you know, the Red Sea, and then, they pass, and then they're, in the, they're in the wilderness. And that's, you know, compl- all, regarding Moses as a leader, he starts to get worn down by complaining. What's up with, you know, there's no water. You brought us out here to kill us. Oh, we're hungry. You're going to kill us of starvation. And then they get the manna. Oh, and then a few weeks later, we hate this food. Give us different food, blah, 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 you know? Anyway, Moses is getting worn down. You can, it's apparent, right? And then they're thirsty again after seeing a dozen miracles at least. They're thirsty again in the book of Numbers. And they go, and Moses heard this so many times. We hate you. You, you know, you was out to kill us. So then God says to Moses, they're thirsty. Speak to the rock. Water will come out of the rock. What does Moses do? He goes, hey, you rebels. You want me to provide water for you? I'll provide water. Bam, he strikes the rock and water comes gushing out. So he disobeys God, right? And then after putting up with all that garbage, this one failure, and God says, that's it. You're not entering the promised land to Moses. That's a different sermon because I haven't figured it out yet, but whatever, we'll get there. (laughs) Um, But the point here is he had to, like he dealt with uh, problems externally and internally, right? But not perfectly. He blew it. He had a a temper. Elijah had a despondency, burnout, self-pity party, right? And yet here they are, the board meeting with God basically. What does that tell me? That, that tells me, Richard, don't be too hard on yourself because you're not like, you're not in God's story because you're killing it perfectly with your spiritual disciplines and your obedience and all that good stuff. No, 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 God, look, God is, and I, you'll hear me say this a million times, unconditionally, infinitely, irrevocably for you, loves you too much to abandon you, and also, by the way, loves me too much to allow me to wallow in my sin, will intervene to move me forward. All good. So, you know, when you look at 2 Corinthians 1, Paul despaired even of life. When you look at John 21, you know, Peter had denied Jesus. When you look at James 3, we all stumble in many ways, and yet God's still for us. So let's get on the ground of grace here because the transfiguration teaches us that. And then another observation here, here's what happens. The glory breaks through, right? Uh, And the summary is that this was like a a revelation of the world. When you take all the garbage away, this is what's there. It's here now, the kingdom of God. So there is glory. There is beauty. There is justice. There is hope. There is healing. There is reconciling powers right here, but it's also, you know, hidden under this mass of junk. Like if you do ski mountaineering, one of the practices that you have is you, you take your pack 
that has an avalanche beacon in it, and you bury it somewhere, right? And then that beacon is sending out a little signal, and then everybody else with their beacons races to see, you know, who can, who can find it first. But, like, without that beacon, you look around and you're like this, there's nothing here. There's nothing. And without the beacon that is your faith, that's how we live our lives. Because, like, the news cycle and Facebook and every, everything else says to me, this world is on the highway to hell. Everything says that, except my avalanche beacon, which is my faith in Christ. So kind of we're there, right? But if we start listening for that beacon, God shows up. I'm going to tell you, share a story with you from a book. This is my book <laughs> entitled uh, Wild Mercy, Living the Fierce and T- uh, Tender Wisdom of women mystics. No one could be more surprised than Greta that she turned out to be a Christian, let alone a monastic. Greta was a pioneer in the American yoga movement, co-founding the legendary Yoga Works in Santa Monica, Yoga Zone in New York City. Before that, she was engaged in feminist activism. But while these practices fortified her body and aligned with her values, neither path offered the nourishment her soul hungered for. In 2000, as Greta's carefully woven life was unraveling, her marriage, her business, her housing, everything was falling apart, a friend encouraged her to do a retreat in an Episcopal monastery in Massachusetts just to have a chance to breathe and center herself before figuring out her next step. And now we pick up Greta's direct words. On my first day there, an old monk, the kindest person I've ever known, gave me homework. The assignment was the beginning of my conversion experience. He instructed me to go back to my room and sit across from an empty chair and imagine Jesus sitting in the chair. And then said, just unburden your heart. Tell him everything. Uh, So I shared the depths of my pain with imaginary Jesus, wept my way through the entire exercise, and felt nothing in return. But after I'd fallen asleep later that night, I became aware and intensely aware of a vast presence Christ. Christ met her there. And she heard Christ say, I have work for you to do, but first we need to heal your heart. And then she lay back down and sensed all the sorrow draining away from her. And in that moment, she knew she was healed. She simplified her life. She started giving away everything she, almost everything she owned, paring down her belongings to what would fit in a single room. Knew she was called to live a monastic life and uh, founded the Community of Divine Love in Southern California with uh, a guy named Brother Dennis, and it's a prison ministry to this day. Why? Because uh, the the transfiguration. Like the veil was pulled away, do you get it? And she saw what's there, this infinite, loving God who wants to fill us, heal us, empower us, and send us out of the world to be the presence of hope in the midst of all that's going on. She needed that, that... that encounter, so do you, so do I. So um, we're kind of at that point, and let me just move now to make a couple of observations. We've seen what happened, right? Disciples go up, the veil's pulled away, you see glory. Now, what happened? Well, first of all, we observe the temptation is to fixate on that event, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, what did Peter say? This is fantastic, man. Let's just settle in here. You know, we'll, we'll make a little uh, 
put some tents up, and we'll stay here for, you know, forever. And let me just observe here then, because it's important. We do, all of us, appropriately, we long for the eternal, the triumphant. We want uh, the glorious to be visible. But we also want that glory to be visible as the reality, definite article, at all times. So what Peter's kind of saying here is, hey, let's structure things so that this breakthrough of the eternal can continue unabated for the foreseeable future. (laughs) And that notion is two things, wrong and ill-devised. Let me explain why. First of all, it's wrong. Why? Because what did Jesus say? Well, in John 12, 24, Jesus said, look, uh, uh, if you pay attention to the reality of this world, there's life and death. And And by the way, there's resurrection life. But unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. So look, part of the story is going to unfold not up on the mountain, but down in the valley in the midst of loss and suffering and conflict and failure and brokenness and disease and infidelity. I'm going to shape you there. Don't insist that everything be Disneyland. Forgive me if you love Disneyland, right? It's not. It's not that way. Ecclesiastes 3, yeah, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Yeah, there's a time, a time for peace. Absolutely. When the Ukrainian symphony plays beautiful music, there's a time for war. When it's a single cellist in a town square weeping after the theater was bombed. There's a time for health. There's a time for sickness. There's a time for everything. So when I say, Jesus speaking, it's time to go down the mountain, go with me. Because if you insist on everything being always up, it's not going to work. And by the way, we as spiritual leaders really need to remember this. Because, you know, as we put services on here, I can tell you over the years, there have been times when God showed up in, you know, powerful ways, sometimes for each of you individually at various times, and sometimes collectively, where in the room... There's a sense of the presence of God. And uh, it, it's tempting to me as a leader to go, wow, what did we do? Like, what, okay, what were those songs? Those, are, those songs are magic, you know? And that little turn of phrase, if I can just do that again, we'll get the same thing. I can tell you, as the guy who does it four times on a Sunday, sometimes it works at eight and it's a stinking disaster at your service. I'm sorry about that. But we did the same thing because it's not up to us when God pulls the veil away. So we're not gonna try and be clever and script that for you. We're just going to let God do what God does. The reason it's ill-devised is because, um, uh, you know, when Peter wants to make it permanent, I'll just note that there has not been a movement in all of history that set out to create a utopian society and succeeded. Not one, ever. Everyone fails. It collapses on the weight of just living in a fallen world, right? So... Um, Let's make a a couple of observations here. There's a reality. God never promised us an escape from the effects of the fall, ever. If you read uh, Paul's story in 2 Corinthians 11, he had his own version of transfiguration. He was taken up into the third heaven and saw stuff. And then he says, because I saw stuff, I also now am afflicted with some kind of, quote-unquote, thorn in the flesh, right? Right? I'm suffering in this life. 
And I prayed and I said, God, take it away. Take it away. I asked three times. God said, no, no, no. I'm going to give you something better than taking it away. I'm going to give you my strength perfected in your weakness because I'm calling you right now in, you know, April of 2022 not to live on the mountaintop. No, no, no. You're going to get glimpses of, of perfection, glimpses of glory, glimpses of healing, but I'm calling you to live in the muck and mess in light of that glory. So, so you're going to need my strength in the midst of that mess because that mess is your weakness. God never promised escape from the effects of the fall. Elijah, the suffering of Job, the risk of Esther, the rejection of Tamar in the Old Testament, uh, the fate of the disciples, all martyrs. The reality is that Christ followers, that's you and me, we're not exempt from illness or loss or conflict. If you live on this planet, you live in a fallen place. If you live with another person, you live in a broken community right there. If you live alone, it's even worse because you got nobody to blame, right? So like our utopian ex expectations, whether they be about work or church or marriage, are, are actually bad news because they create disillusionment that leads to cynicism and disengagement. But if I can live in radical acceptance of the present moment, when I accept the present moment as what it, for what it is, then I look to Christ, I dig deep into Christ to find the resources to walk in the midst of suffering, in the midst of injustice, in the midst of ambiguity. And not only is loss a reality in this fallen world, but it's vital to see God uses the loss and suffering and self-emptying to fulfill God's purposes. Unless the grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it abides alone, right? So we're laying down, we're sacrificing, we're heading into the fire. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It's messy. There's suffering, there's pain, there's loss. And why do we do it? Because we, we were on the mountain on a clear day. And we, we know. We know what's there, and we know that it's always going to be there and even better. Because God's kingdom will never be shaken. So this brings us to the second observation, the third point. Our daily calling is that the lesser, which is the kingdom of this world, must be informed by the greater, which is God's mustard seed, lost coin kingdom. God's kingdom, transcendently beautiful, perfect, life-giving, joy-imparting, and this tall. <laughs> Kingdoms of this world, domination model, poverty, homelessness, the largest refugee immigrant crisis in the history of the world right now, Huge. And our calling is for the lesser to inform our lives, not the greater. We live on the base of God's kingdom. But the temptation in modernity is to get stuck in kind of binary, binary thinking. In other words, there's not two kingdoms here. There's only one. And the one is the one you see. So either God is here and everything's perfect, or there are forces of darkness destroying and enslaving and everything's lost. It's one or the other. This line of thinking, by the way is the new normal in political discourse. David Brooks, New York Times columnist, uh, uh, shared recently about attending a convention of young conservatives. And this, he was really alarmed when he came back. He said, they're not saying, uh, hey, 
the left has a different view of getting to liberty and justice than we do. And so we have to work together to get there because we have different ideas. They're saying the left is out to destroy America. So we need to destroy them so they don't destroy America. And by the way, the left is saying the same thing as, uh, 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 of the right. It's like, this, it's like this thinking that says, look, we either have it all or have nothing. We either win or we're destroyed. That's not reality, friends. The kingdom of God is here now. The glory of God is here now. The healing power of God and the grace and mercy and beauty and justice of God are here now like a mustard seed like a speck of yeast in a loaf of bread. So both are here, kingdoms of this world, kingdom of God. This is uh, what enables Jesus, by the way, to respond to his arrest, inquisition, execution with such grace. Remember that? When he's arrested, hey, some say, you know, you're a king. And what does Jesus say? Yeah, I am, man, and I'm going I'm to show you. Boom, you're dead. No, no. Here's Jesus. In response to that kind of question that Pilate asked, he, simple. He says, yeah, I am a king. Well, if you're a king, what about Caesar? My kingdom, what does he say? My kingdom is not of this world. It's here. I'm, I'm what? I'm in this world. And so are you. <laughs> Buying, selling, credit cards, Amazon stuff, healthcare stuff. Boeing stuff, retirement stuff, hospital stuff, teaching stuff. I'm here. I'm in this world. I'm not of it. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen it. I've seen justice and mercy and you know, righteousness. This explains why, I mean, I love the Psalms because some Psalms are just pure despair. And some Psalms are just pure hope. And most Psalms are both right? So we learn to live in this world, but not of this world. The lesser, by which we mean this present world of domination systems, isn't annihilated by the greater. In other words, we're still here with vaccination questions and arguments about politics and the scourge of social media and all the, you know, poverty and war and displaced humans. We're still here but we're invited to live in the midst of all this with a confidence that comes because we've seen the glory of eternity. Like we know love wins. Why do we know? Not because you heard a sermon. You've seen love win. Like you've seen, you've encountered Jesus. You know that reconciliation and justice are beautiful because you've seen it. You've seen it because you served a community meal here. And you've seen the image of God in Friends in Need, right? You've seen it because you've been to Rwanda and you've watched Tutsi and Hutu pastors, you know, reconciling. You've seen it because you marched in a protest and you saw the needle move on justice. And so we know the end of the story, but the end of the story isn't something we wait for the end of the story is something we embody now. So we're with our friends in the lookout tower. It's foggy, but we've seen. We've seen. So we're declaring there's something better. There's something better. Now, here's the closing question. Have you seen? <laughs> hey, pay attention to the beauty of God's reign. 
because God, there are transfiguration moments every day. Healthcare workers, front lines, displaying the glory of God in their service and love. German doctor, when I was teaching in Austria, a German doctor sharing with me with tears in her eyes her caring for Ukrainian children who are refugees because uh, already they're crossing over the, the border from Poland into, into Germany. And she's, she's caring for kids who've lost everything, lost their families. Mahler's Second Symphony, the glory of God breaking through. And by the way, the glory of God doesn't just break through in the city, it breaks through in creation. Jesus didn't take him to Jerusalem to show his glory. He took him to the mountains. That's significant. I remember this moment when uh, I was at Rocky, Rocky Mountain National Park with my, with my youngest daughter, and uh, we got up to the ranger thing, and the guy goes, yeah, uh, there's really only one campsite, and it's garbage. And my little daughter kind of bats her eyes and smiles. She says, is there really nothing? Like, we're only here for this one night. Could we just have a nice campsite? Like, she's saying this as an eight-year-old. And uh, the ranger's like, yeah. I've got one. I'm going to give it to you. And we ended up like on the border of the meadow in Rocky Mountain National Park, if you know it. And it's late August, early September, something like that. And at 6 a.m., I wake up and the ground is shaking. And so I unzip the tent and I look out. And there's thousands of elk migrating across the field. And I wake up my daughter frost on the ground, and I put her on my shoulders, and we go, and we stand right in the middle of all these elk as they're coming through, just as the sun is rising. And I'm like this. God's taken care of this world pretty nicely. This is glory. This is glory. So once we see that beauty is intended to inform our daily living, we live in the light of what we've seen. Have you seen? I hope so. If you haven't, wake up and pay attention. And if you have, celebrate that and give thanks and share those stories so that we can be people of hope in this broken world. Father, meet us now as we respond. Bring to mind, as we recall, moments where you've shown up in raw, naked glory because we need to live on the basis of that in the muck that we find ourselves in on a daily basis. Speak to us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Your invitation this morning by way of response, we did this earlier in the first service, is to come up and use these prayer books to write down your transfiguration moments, moments when you've seen God. It may be with a symphony, it may be in creation, it may be in the intimacy of your marriage, but share those and read what people wrote earlier in the, in the services as we celebrate together the reality that indeed in this fallen world, there's a kingdom that will never be shaken. Let's worship. Please respond in the prayer books.